Letter twenty three of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to IPD, Audley End, October fourteenth, eighteen forty seven. Dear Uncle, we are staying for a few days at Lord Baybrook's place, one of the most magnificent in England, but before I say a word about it, I must tell you of A's safe arrival and how happy I have been made by having him with me again. On Saturday the ninth we had the honour of dining with the Lord Mayor to meet the Duke of Cambridge, a fete so unlike anything else and accompanied by so many old and peculiar customs that I must describe it to you at full length. The mansion-house is in the heart of the city, and is very magnificent and spacious. The Egyptian hall, as the dining-room is called, being one of the noblest apartments I have seen. The guests were about two hundred and fifty in number, and were received by the Lady Mayoress sitting. When dinner was announced, the Lord Mayor went out first, preceded by the sword-bearer and mace-bearer and all the insignia of office. Then came the Duke of Cambridge and the Lady Mayoress, then Mr. Bancroft and I together, which is the custom at these great civic feasts. We marched through the long gallery by the music of the band to the Egyptian Hall, where two raised seats like thrones were provided for the Lord Mayor and Mayoress at the head of the hall. On the right hand of the Lord Mayor sat the Duke of Cambridge on a common chair, for royalty yields entirely to the Mayor, on his own ground. On the right of the Duke of Cambridge sat the Mayoress-elect, for the present dignitaries go out of office on the 1st of November. On the left hand of the present Lady Mayoress sat the Lord Mayor-elect. Then I came with my husband on my left hand in very conjugal style. There were three tables the whole length of the hall, and that at which we were placed went across the head. When we were placed, the herald stands behind the Lord Mayor and cries, My lords, ladies and gentlemen, pray silence for grace. Then the chaplain, in his gown, goes behind the Lord Mayor and says grace. After the second course, two large gold cups, nearly two feet high, are placed before the Mayor and Mayoress. The herald then cries with a loud voice, his Royal Highness the Duke of Cambridge, the American Minister, the Lord Chief Baron, etc., etc., enumerating about a dozen of the most distinguished guests, and ladies and gentlemen all, the Lord Mayor and Mayoress do bid you most heartily welcome and invite you to drink in a loving cup. Whereupon the Mayor and Mayoress rise, and each turn to their next neighbor, who take off the cover while they drink. After my right-hand neighbor, the Lord Mayor-elect, put one on the cover, he turns to me and says, please take off the cover, which I do, and hold it while he drinks. Then I replace the cover, and turn round to Mr. Bancroft, who rises and performs the same office for me while I drink. Then he turns to his next neighbor, who takes off the cover for him. I have not felt so solemn since I stood up to be married, as when Mr. Bancroft and I were standing up alone together, the rest of the company looking on, I with this great heavy gold cup in my hand, so heavy that I could scarcely lift it to my mouth with both hands, and he with the cover before me, with rather a mischievous expression in his face. Then came two immense gold platters filled with rose-water, which were also passed round. These gold vessels were only used by the persons at the head-table. The other guests were served with silver cups. When the dessert and the wine are placed on the table, the herald says, My lords, ladies, and gentlemen, please to charge your glasses. After we duly charge our glasses, the herald cries, Lords, ladies, and gentlemen, pray silence for the Lord Mayor. He then rises and proposes the first toast, which is, of course, always the Queen. After a time came the American minister, who was obliged to rise up at my elbow and respond. 
We got home just after twelve. And now let me try to give you some faint idea of Audley End, which is by far the most magnificent house I have yet seen. It was built by the Earl of Suffolk, son of the Duke of Norfolk, who was beheaded in Elizabeth's reign for high treason, upon the side of an abbey, the lands of which had been granted by the crown to that powerful family. One of the earls of Suffolk, dying without sons, the earldom passed into another branch, and the barony and estate of Howard de Walden came into the female line. In course of time, a Lord Howard de Walden, dying without a son, his title also passed into another family, but his estate went to his nephew, Lord Baybrook, the father of the present lord. Lady Baybrook is the daughter of the Marquise of Cornwallis, and granddaughter of our American Lord Cornwallis. The house is of the Elizabethan period, and is one of the best preserved specimens of that style, but of its vast extent and magnificence I can give you no idea. We arrived about five o'clock, and were ushered through an immense hall of carved oak, hung with banners up a fine staircase to the grand saloon, where we were received by the host and hostess. Now, of this grand saloon I must try to give you a conception. It was, I should think, from seventy-five to one hundred feet in length. The ceiling overhead was very rich with hanging corbels, like stalactites, and the entire walls were panelled, with a full-length family portrait in each panel, which was arched at the top, so that the whole wall was composed of these round-topped pictures with rich gilding between. Notwithstanding its vast size, the sofas and tables were so disposed all over the apartment as to give it the most friendly, warm, and social aspect. Lady Baybrook herself ushered me to my apartments, which were the state rooms. First came Mr. Bancroft's dressing-table, where was a blazing fire. Then came the bedroom, with the state bed of blue and gold, covered with embroidery, and with the arms and coronet of Howard de Walden. The walls were hung with crimson and white damask, and the sofas and chairs also, and it was surrounded by pictures, among others a full length of Queen Charlotte, just opposite the foot of the bed, which always saluted me every morning when I awoke, with her fan, her hoop, and her deep ruffles. My dressing-room, which was on the opposite side from Mr. Bancroft's, was a perfect gem. It was painted by the famous Rebecco, who came over from Italy to ornament so many of the great English houses at one time. The whole ceiling and walls were covered with beautiful designs and with gilding, and a beautiful recess for a couch was supported by fluted gilded columns, the architraves and mouldings of the doors were gilt, and the panels of the doors were filled with Rebecco's beautiful designs. The chairs were of light blue embroidered with thick heavy gold, and all this bearing the stamp of antiquity was a thousand times more interesting than mere modern splendor. In the centre of the room was a toilette of white muslin, universal here, and on it a gilt dressing-table, which gave pretty effect to the whole. I sat at dinner between Lord Baybrook and Sir John Boileau, and found them both very agreeable. The dining-room is as magnificent as the other apartments. The ceiling is in the Elizabethan style, covered with figures, and the walls white and gold panelling hung with full-length family portraits, not set into the wall like the saloon, but in frames. In the evening the young people had a round game at cards, and the elder ones seemed to prefer talking to a game of whist. The ladies brought down their embroidery or netting. At eleven a tray with wine and water is brought in, and a quantity of bed candlesticks, and everybody retires when they like. The next morning the guests assembled at half-past nine in the great gallery, which leads to the chapel, to go in together to prayers. The chapel is really a beautiful little piece of architecture, with a vaulted roof and windows of painted glass. On one side is the original cast of the large monument to Lord Cornwallis, our Lord, 
which is in Westminster Abbey. After breakfast we passed a couple of hours in going all over the house, which is in perfect keeping in every part. We returned to the library, a room as splendid as the saloon, only instead of pictured panels it was surrounded by books in beautiful gilt bindings. In the immense bay window was a large Louis XIV table, round which the ladies all placed themselves at their embroidery, though I preferred looking over curious illuminated missiles, etc., etc. The next day was the meeting of the County Agricultural Society. At the hour appointed we all repaired to the ground where the prizes were to be given out. Lord Baybrook made first a most paternal and interesting address, which showed me the most favorable view the relation between the noble and the lower class in England, a relation which must depend much on the personal character of the lord of the manor. First came prizes to ploughmen, then the ploughboys, then the shepherds, then to such peasants as had reared many children without aid, then to women who had been many years in the same farmer's service, etc., etc., a clock was awarded to a poor man and his wife who had reared six children and buried seven without aid from the parish. The rapture with which Mr. and Mrs. Flitton and the whole six children gazed on this clock, an immense treasure for a peasant's cottage, was both comic and affecting. The next morning we made our adieus to our kind host and hostess, and set off for London, accompanied by Sir John Tyrrell, Major Beresford, and young Mr. Boileau. End of Letter 23 Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org.